You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered. Listener-supported. Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Cade Young. And I'm Noelle Herhusky Schneider. This is the WFHB Local News for Thursday, February 15, 2024. This month, the League of Women Voters of Bloomington and Monroe County welcomed the Executive Director and the Educational Director of Wonder Lab to share with our audience the many exciting opportunities that Wonder Lab Museum of Science, Health, and Technology offers to local residents. More in the latest edition of Civic Conversations. Also coming up in the next half hour, we have coverage on the latest City of Bloomington Redevelopment Commission meeting. That's coming up next in your local headlines. The Bloomington Redevelopment Commission met on February 5th to discuss the future of the Showers West renovation project. In December, the City of Bloomington received several bids regarding the use of Showers West as the police headquarters and fire department administration, along with two firehouse renovations and a new fire logistics building. Mayor Carrie Thompson gathered a task force to evaluate the project and determine what the city's next steps would be. It became very clear uh, that we just don't have funding to to do it at this time. Um, and so rather than leaving the um, the contractors wondering, um, we could not, there was no way to proceed uh, and guarantee that we had enough money uh, to to do showers as it was outlined. The Bloomington Redevelopment Commission voted to reject all construction bids for the renovation project. The city plans to continue construction on Fire Station 1, designs for Fire Station 3, and find a potential new home for the Fire Logistics Building. Current residents will be allowed to stay at Showers West, but new lease agreements are on pause. The current conversation is to do a collaborative process with council to make sure that uh, whatever we do with police in the end It is in the interest of the future of public safety and uh, that we really look at how we're we're collaborating um, overall with public safety as it's being defined in the 21st century. The next Redevelopment Commission meeting will take place on February 19th. At the February 7th meeting of the Monroe County Commissioners, the commissioners rejected a motion for the rezoning of Worms Way property from Agricultural Rural Reserve to pre-existing business. The property owner requested the property be rezoned to allow future businesses to buy and use the land. In 1997, there's about a dozen properties that were rezoned to pre-existing business uh, within three miles of Worms Way, north and south of it. Some of those properties have have been sold since then. Uh, Pointer Sheet Metals is now uh, Farrell Fisher. Uh, the uh, what I think was called the lighthouse before is rezoned uh, or is now occupied by Wells Landscaping. And so all I'm asking for is to be treated the same as these pre-existing business owners. There, you know, there, there's no reason that my property was not rezoned pre-existing business. It clearly was there in 1997 and yet nothing was done at that time. Some of the properties 
And on that page 63, I was I was going to point out there's actually properties that are zoned pre-existing business that are vacant land. Uh, the one property which is south of the gas station, not shown on that on that picture, but that, there's a 30 acre parcel, 7326 Wayport Road. It's vacant, never had a business on it. It's zoned pre-existing business. There is a parcel at 6427 North Charlie Taylor Lane, 1.06 acres down near Thompson Furniture. Same thing, it's zoned pre-existing business, yet it's never had a business on it, uh, is vacant property. You know, my property has a site plan and has 60,000 square foot of commercial building located on it. Uh, and there's just, it doesn't make any sense. In response to the property owner's comments, many members of Windsor Private, a neighborhood adjacent to Worms Way property, expressed their disapproval of the rezoning. Um, in the last meeting, in the last uh, planning meeting about the PUD, a member of the commission asked our neighborhood to meet with the owner to come up with a, some acceptable businesses. And that's not up to our neighborhood to do this. Mm -hmm. um, another planning commission member put the question out there, what do we have to do to get this property sold for the owner? And that's, that's inappropriate for a board member to say that. Uh, it's, not up to the, it's not up to the county to find a way for the owner to sell at a high price. It's up to the county to protect residents' rights and property values. And so we saw the value of Worms Way has been reduced to 530000 for tax purposes. I did a check on Windsor Private. I added up all the houses in the neighbourhood. Its approximately value is $23.9 million, which is a lot of tax dollars. Um, these are not three-bedroom, two-bath tract homes that their attorney, Mr. Carmen, said in the last meeting. Okay, these are luxury homes in the estate neighbourhood. Um, the, the planning commission members and the, and the commissioners need to forget about trying to make things easier to sell the property for the owner and remember the tax base of the surrounding neighbourhoods. Any incompatible businesses will lower our property values. Mr. Carmen and the owner talk about fairness. He's had 20 years, 25 years to do this rezone, and he's never done it until now when he doesn't have any money coming in anymore. He's made tons of money over these years. So the last meeting, the last planning meeting, had a nice speech from the owner basically blaming our neighbourhood and the county for previous decisions made 25 years ago. Okay, It's not our fault. It's not the county's fault that this property is inappropriate for the zone. He needs to reduce his price and do something else. Um, and, you know, this is a residential, agricultural and rural area, not business and industrial. There are some businesses around, but they're, they're, they're not disruptive, okay? Um, Mr. Carmen calls us whiny and irrational, he said whining in the last meeting. Today he calls us irrational. Okay, we're not irrational. We're just trying to protect our families and our homes. So um, this latest attempt is inappropriate, and I'm requesting that you please deny this rezone request. Thank you. Local real estate agent and resident of Windsor Private, Julie Booz, has shown the property twice. Both times, the sale failed due to the property owner advertising the property improperly, according to Booz. Mr. Hyatt has never uh, had a, a real estate agent try to sell the property. He's advertised it as industrial property, which it never has been. So that's the people who come to him to try to buy it. So over the years, he has not had any offers on it. And it has to do with the way that he's advertising it. You can't 
advertise it for something that it's not and expect someone to come in and pay the amount of money that he has for it. He needs to price his property for what it is and what it's zoned, and he would have sold it years ago. I would have liked to have sold it. I would have, I would have loved to have helped him sell that property. The other thing is, is to say that, you know, Windsor Private doesn't want anybody there. Well, that's not true. We have supported it. I know I supported his company. I bought all my mulch and plants from there. I think everybody in the neighborhood did. We had, you know, worked out a deal with him. We helped him get his zoning. We helped um, provide people to come and do his service so that he could grow his business. And he did. He grew it well. And we were all supportive of that. And we always have been. But this is our neighborhood. And high intensity is, I mean, that is not what we want, because what he wants to do is go right back to his advertising, which as it's circled, industrial. He wants to sell it as an industrial property because he can get more money for it. And that is the bottom line. It just has to do, as far as he's concerned, he only cares about what he can get for that business. And he wants the highest amount possible. Another Windsor private homeowner, Mike Hofstadler, shared concerns about the impact of rezoning on property values in the neighborhood. There were some bad business decisions made, and now we all have to suffer. And so he's not, because when you change this to industrial use, you're not just changing his, you're changing all of ours. We're going to lose the agricultural reserve zoning that we have, we bought there for those reasons. We're going to lose that and, and it'll be gone forever. There's no going back. So I just, I just hope that the commission can understand that best use doesn't always mean most profitable use. And, and while I'm sympathetic to people who have, you know, business involvements, this happens all the time where people make business decisions and, and it doesn't work out for them. You know, he made a decision to sell the business and keep the buildings. He knew the zoning. He was the one who got the zoning put in place. So he knew the limitations of that land. And, you know, and land's only valued at what it can be used for. And, you know, there are lots of things you can do with ag rural reserve zone property. It just why why make us suffer? Commissioner Julie Thomas responded, saying that the residents of Windsor Private bought their properties with a neighboring garden supply store and that rezoning that land to allow industrial business would impede on the residents. I think there is a real concern about losing that buffer zone. I think there is a real concern about having a business inserted here, which is not compatible with the existing neighborhood. And I always focus on the people who live in the area first when a rezone petition comes before us because it is their livelihood, their way of life that will be impacted the most. Um, and, and for that reason, I'm going to vote no on this petition. All three commissioners voted no on the motion to rezone Wormsway property after hearing over an hour of debate.
This month, the League of Women Voters of Bloomington and Monroe County welcomes the executive director and the education director of WonderLab to share the many exciting opportunities that WonderLab Museum of Science, Health, and Technology offers to Bloomington residents. The WonderLab was formed in 1995 by a small group of Bloomington citizens interested in the importance of science education within a community. The goal of the WonderLab was to teach and make science education fun while also creating a permanent museum that celebrates the importance of science exploration and discovery. We turn to host Jim Allison for more on the latest edition of Civic Conversations on the WFHB Local News. You're listening to Civic Conversations, a podcast collaboration between the League of Women Voters, Bloomington, Monroe County, and WFHP. I'm Jim Allison, your host, and Becky Hill is our producer. Occasionally, we like to feature a local nonprofit on our community, and today's guests are Kelly DeBeke and Karen Jepson Innes of the Wonder Lab Museum of Science, Health, and Technology. And they're here to discuss science education's importance in a community. Welcome to you both. Thanks. First question, Wonder Lab is certainly one of Bloomington's more recent treasures, and treasure it is. I wonder if you could tell us something about its history, how and when it got started, something about its early movers and shakers, and why they thought we needed a Wonder Lab, either one or both of you. Sure. This is Karen, uh, Karen uh, Jepson Ennis. I'm the current executive director of Wonder Lab. And Wonder Lab was founded in 1995 by a small group of Bloomington citizens, including myself, and two other people who still work at the museum. Um, in addition, our uh, our uh, first executive director was the late Catherine Ulmer. Um, she passed away in November, and we really miss her. Uh, she was a physicist and a professor at Indiana University, so she brought the science in. Uh, also, Deborah Kent uh, it was our our founder in terms of uh, the general idea. Deborah had taken her uh, family all over the country, and they loved to visit museums of all types. And she came back to Bloomington and thought that our wonderful city that values education and has so many uh, amazing cultural activities and a big university really needed a science museum. So that was kind of the initial uh, the initial idea. And from 1995 to 1998, Kathy, uh, the physicist, and myself, I'm a biologist, we brought science outreach activities to schools, community centers, festivals all around Monroe County. Uh, and those activities were very simple ones. They were based on uh, projects that Kathy had her physics students do uh, that illustrated very important core science concepts. Um, sound and music, vibration, uh, magnetism, forces in motion with very simple, inexpensive materials. So our goals were two. We we wanted to make science fun and enable kids to explore in their own way. Uh, we also wanted to build awareness and support for a permanent museum in Bloomington. And uh, additional people who helped make that a reality were uh, then Mayor John Fernandez. He was a real believer in the idea of having a place like this in downtown Bloomington and was a real champion for us and helped secure 
the Maplefoot site, which is where Wonderlab, the Wonderlab building is now. So why, why we all thought we needed a Wonderlab? Well, we decided it was kind of like a library, a really important educational resource that gathers and binds the community together for shared learning. We didn't want to have to drive to Indianapolis or Louisville to have that kind of experience. We wanted one in our own backyard. And indeed, uh, in addition to guests, Wonder Lab is a really important resource for volunteers, teens all the way through um, seniors to to share their expertise in this in this community area. And so where we are now, just a really brief walkthrough. So we've got our own building. We reached our goal. And you open the front door and you see the beautiful grapevine climber, which uh, anybody, any age can go up uh, and climb all the way to the top, close to the top of the second floor. And just like in science, you can see the world and the space around you for, for with a whole new uh, perspective. Uh, bubble exhibits are on the first floor wind and water, forces in motion, and our infant and toddler space called Science Sprouts Place. Because um, partly inspired by work of IU scientists, it's clear that STEM education begins right at birth. And so we take that very seriously and have developed a spe specific area. The second floor is a lot more quiet. You walk upstairs and there's a tree at the top of the stairs, and that's where our honeybees live. And we have other live animals, snakes and lizards, and even a cool arthropod called a vinegaroon. Uh, some of those animals are hands-on too. We take the snakes out and the lizards and the hissing cockroaches, and people can have a close encounter with another species. A beautiful coral reef aquarium, some big building and engineering systems, and then lab rooms, which are multi-purpose spaces where you can have lunch, you can have a science demonstration, you can even have a party. Yeah, um, we also use those lab spaces for a lot of our programming that we do. So in addition to the exhibits, we have programming throughout the week. We have different programming to touch on all those different age groups. You can visit our website to get times and details, um, but we really encourage you to come out. And even people with very small children, we have programming for you. So we like to support our parents just as much as we like to support our young guests in their science development. Um, and some of the other things that you might not know about is we actually have programmings for adults as well. Those are called after hours. Uh, we have one coming up in February, so this month, all around chocolate. And again, just look back at that calendar and see the other really cool programs we come up come up with. Um, we want the community to know that Wonder Lab's not just for the littles. Yes, it's for the littles. We're all about science education, but there's something there for everybody. Karen talked about the origins of Wonder Lab having a lot to do with outreach. And we've been very fortunate to get a Lilly grant, and that is going to allow us to double our outreach in the coming three years. Um, so we'll be able to get out in the community beyond Monroe County in different schools and community centers, and we're really excited about that. The other one we have is a maker workshop. That's for ages eight and up. 
We have one that coincides with the eclipse. Ours uh, workshop will be on April 6th, where we'll be making pinhole projectors and dissecting cow eyeballs. So we can connect how that projector works with how we also use our eyes and our brain to view the world. Um, so yeah, so many cool things. I see why kids and parents love a visit to Wonder Lab. Can you tell me, in your opinion, what distinguishes scientific thought from other kinds of thought? Yeah, well, when it comes to scientific thought and the scientific thought process, um, what really stands out to me is the logic-based and the evidence-based. And there is nothing more important than learning how to practice those skills. So as we become adults or continue to be adults, we can use that logic to help us problem solve through our daily lives. We start young because we feel like even our youngest guests are natural scientists and we want to build those science identities in people. Anyone can be a scientist. Anyone, anyone can grow up to be a scientist, a physicist, an engineer. And it's important to us to let those young people know that. It seems to me there's a lot of hands-on stuff going on at, in, in your Wonder Lab. I wonder if you could give us an example of that hands-on approach to science. Sure. This is Karen again. I can do that. Um, I, I think the, the distinctive feature with hands-on is the, the ability to physically manipulate things and explore with real authentic materials, uh, as opposed to a place that's a, I, I call it a book on a wall where there's a lot of sign content. We, we have some signs, but we, we don't have a lot of words. It's very focused on individual exploration and discovery. Um, and that a, a guest is able to ask a curious question and answer it with the materials at hand. Those are some of the criteria and qualities we strive for when we either create exhibits or purchase them. Um, and so I think my best favorite example is one of our oldest exhibits called the Magnetic Sculpture. And it's very simple. It's just an enormous magnet that's very powerful. And we put a bunch of stuff next to the magnet and people can uh, experiment with what sticks to the magnet and what doesn't. So uh, you can take a piece of paper and hold it up to the magnet and see if it is attracted, or you can take a metal washer. And for those of us who are grown-ups, this might seem kind of trivial, but if you think about a child who has not experienced a magnet or a magnetic force, this is a real opportunity for discovery. And I also want to touch back to the scientific thought process that a, a real core aspect of scientific thought is curiosity. That's what drives all basic scientific research and the development of, of new knowledge. And so we really work hard to make Wonder Lab a space where curiosity is fostered, where people of all ages can just explore and practice being curious about something. Okay. Climate change is a major scientific, economic, and political challenge of our time. And I'm wondering, do you see Wonder Lab as a means of preparing young people to face that challenge? Yes, definitely, most definitely. And I'm, I'm really glad you asked this question because in the last year or so, Wonder Lab has really uh, elevated and focused on, on this as a priority. Um, 
And I'll let Kelly talk a little bit about the programs we're doing, but I'll say that um, we we are working on not only our programming, but having our building reflect our interest in being a role model in the community for um, how we use energy. So about uh, earlier this year, we put solar panels on the roof of our outbuilding workshop, and we have an exhibit or a little panel inside so visitors can actually see the live real-time output of the solar panels. And not everybody has ever seen that before. So it's a place where somebody can who has who's not familiar with that technology can learn a little bit about it. Um, one of the things I'm most proud of is a project that a group of high school students did this summer. They addressed this issue head on by uh, creating as part of a, a, a school project, a heat reflective paint. And this is actually kind of a new material that enables uh, a, a surface cooling effect and is being widely used in heat islands and urban areas. So they painted a mural on uh, the wall of our building as a way to demonstrate this technology. Okay. Yeah. In Go addition ahead. to that, we're also working on new labs uh, that are focused on environmental sustainability and clean energy around wind turbines, windmills, and solar energy. We also are taking those as opportunities to listen to the young people that come to us and engage them in honest conversation about what's really going on, but understanding that that can also invoke in them this fear or climate anxiety. And so built into those labs is a component of being able to address that and acknowledge those feelings and let them know that they're not alone and they're not unwarranted, but also give them a sense of hope, um, teach them the engineering design process, how to brainstorm big so they can see that they get to have the power beyond just single stream recycling and riding your bicycle to be a part of the change to make this a cleaner planet. Okay, thank you very much, Karen and Kelly, for this tour of Wonderland at Bloomington. And to our listening audience, thanks for listening to us on Civic Conversations. This is Jim Allison, the League of Women Voters, Bloomington, Monroe County. The League is a nonpartisan, grassroots, citizens-led organization that's fought since 1920 to improve our government and engage all citizens in the decisions that impact their lives. Uh, Becky, I wonder if you could tell us something about our next guest for April. In April, we welcomed Professor Charles Gardner-Gian, Distinguished Professor and John Kimberling Chair of the Maurer School of Law. Professor Gardner-Gian teaches and writes in the areas of judicial conduct, ethics, procedure, independence, accountability, and administration. Support for the WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com.
you've been listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 